It's so good to see you on a Sunday morning. You all look good, and yes, I do own a tie. There's like 10 people that said, oh my goodness, you've got a tie. Look, I'm a grown-up too. I have ties. Hey, he is risen. And this, that's it. Let's try it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Beautiful. I think we could just sing that song like 80 times today and just be good. But I'm still going to talk a little bit, okay? Uh, if you have a handout, I hope that you would grab it. It's for the sermon there. It's uh, the little half sheet there. Uh, Toby uh, and Amy might come around here in a minute. If you don't have one, you can just kind of get their attention uh, here in just a second. Uh, we're going to be looking in just a moment in Matthew chapter 28. And that is the account of the first Easter. And I just want to spend a few moments talking about that. And before I do, I want to remind you why we gather here today. We gather to celebrate. We gather to believe that death is not the end. We gather to confess that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. That Jesus who emptied himself, who humbled himself, who became obedient and obedient even to death on a cross, did not stay on the cross. He didn't even stay in the tomb. And Philippians 2 reminds us that after that huge descent down to the grave, the Father highly exalted Him above all other powers, all darkness. And so we also gather to declare the victory that we are free from the power of sin, death, and evil. It's a good day, and I'm glad to see you here on a Sunday morning. If you've been following along with our Lenten devotional reading Congratulations, Lent is over. Today we celebrate. But our book that you've been reading continues this week because we've got to get this victory, this celebration into our bones. We need Easter every day. We need Easter every day to remember He is alive and He is alive in us. We've gathered to worship the living God. If you were following along, you read this passage this morning. And if you haven't read it yet, don't worry. I'm about to read it for you. So would you follow along with me uh, as we read God's Word? And I know we've been standing a lot, but would you stand again if you're willing and able? And I'd like to read this passage for us this morning. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified, but he is not here. He has risen just as he said. So come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. But suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him. They clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. 
This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to our risen Lord. Would you have a seat? I will never forget my first Easter sermon. And the reason I will never forget it is not for all the good reasons that you remember things, right? I will never forget it because it wasn't so great, right? It wasn't like the most memorable, greatest sermon I've ever preached in my life, right? I wish I could remember it for that reason. I wish that I could tell you that, man, I just blew the roof off and like people were weeping and snot and sobbing and saying, he is alive and you proved it, you proved it. And I'm baptizing people. That would be a memorable sermon. But no, the reason I remember my first Easter sermon is because I feel like it was a train wreck. Or as one of my friends said, I feel like you did like three sermons in one sermon. Because I was so amped up, so hyped up, that I grabbed like every story, every illustration, and probably every verse on the resurrection in the New Testament. And I was just going to just force it on you, beautiful people. And I remember that sermon because I, 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 just, I just tried too hard. And one of the things, what's up Chauncey? One of the things that I, uh, that I remember and that God was gracious enough to teach me after that epic fail of an Easter sermon was that the tomb is empty and the pressure is off. He is alive. He is all we need. And it's his new life that he gives. I don't have to give it to you. And so what I realize is what Easter is about and why we're here this morning is for two reasons, to celebrate and to remember, right? To celebrate the resurrection and to remember that he is alive, that death is not the end, that our king is alive. And then I think when we do those two things, we can get into this Easter rhythm. We can come and see and experience it for ourselves. And then we don't just have to keep it for ourselves. We can go and tell the world that he is alive. So at the bottom of that handout there, you'll see these five reminders, these things we've got to celebrate and remember. And I want to just preview those, and we're just going to spend a couple minutes walking through that together. So what you see there, the first one is do not be afraid. Do you know what the most commanded command in Scripture is? Front to back, do not be afraid. We just read it twice in our passage. Do not be afraid. Why? Because we are scared people. The first reminder is do not be afraid. The second reminder is then once that fear is dissipated, come and see for yourself. It really is true. Jesus is alive. The third thing we'll see is then go and tell others Jesus is alive. And then as you're going, watch out because Jesus actually goes ahead of you. And then once you encounter the risen Jesus, take hold of him, worship him, celebrate. We're here to celebrate and remember death is not the end. Our king is alive. So if you'll follow with me, looking back at the text, you'll see those reminders embedded in there. And the first one we need to remember is don't be afraid. What you see at the beginning is these women headed to the tomb. And they're heading to the tomb to do what we all do when we head to a graveside, right? What do you expect? You expect to go and mourn in stillness and silence and grief. Is this not what we do when we go to Restland or Williams or any other cemetery? We go with grief and with, with the hurt and the sting of death. 
And how many times had these women gone to these tombs before to bury a loved one, a family member, a cousin, a friend? They had gone time and time again, but this time they go, and it's palpably different because they went to go and prepare the body of the one that was supposed to make death undone. But he's the one who actually experienced death. They had no idea that they were on the edge of God breaking in and bringing new life to his son Jesus, the crucified king. They go like we went to mourn, to grieve. And then, are you ready for the summer blockbuster action sequence that Matthew gives us? Do you see what happens next? What happens? A violent earthquake. Is that what Matthew says? So this isn't just like the little things that have been happening in Irving the last couple years. This is some kind of massive, shaking earthquake. And if that's not bad enough, who shows up? Our kids knew it. An angel. And so every time an angel shows up, people get freaked out. So what does the angel say? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So why all this drama? Why all this drama with the stone rolling away, the earthquake, and the angel? Here's why all this drama, I think. Friday, the same two women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which is probably the mother of James and Joseph, we see at the foot of the cross. These two Marys on Friday had stood at the foot of the cross, and they're looking up at the king of Israel and the whole world, the one whom all their hope had rested, and he was hanging on the cross. So Friday, these two Marys are gathered at the foot of the cross and they're looking at Jesus dying and they are saying, where are you in this, God? Because all I see is violence, all I see is darkness, all I see is death. And then you have Jesus crying out things like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I thirst And into your hands I commit my spirit. He's saying these things and they're feeling. What are they feeling? That all hope is lost. This is the darkness they experience on Friday. And then to make it worse, the Sabbath begins. They bury him quickly. And then Saturday morning they wake up to the new normal, which is life without Jesus. He had told them that this would happen, but it hadn't sunk in. Because you don't ever want to believe that this darkness is real. And so Saturday, you have this stillness, and they're still asking the questions, where are you, God? The silence is deafening at this point. And then they go to the tomb, expecting to mourn in peace and grief and stillness, and then the earth breaks open. So why all this drama? Because I believe They needed to see that God is not silent. That death does not get the last word. That the cross was not the last word. All this drama because God is getting the last word. And then look when this is happening. Look at the very beginning of your sheet in verse 1. When is this all taking place? At dawn on the what? The first day of the week. You know how Matthew started his gospel? He says, in the beginning. This is the story of Jesus. You know how Matthew is ending his gospel in the last chapter on the first day of the week? This is the new 
beginning. God is getting the last word, and what looked dark on Friday and still and silent on Saturday is not the last word. When I think about the dawning of the new day on the first day of the week when everything is changed, I think about when I was a kid, and maybe you were like this, when you turned the lights off and all of a sudden, all the eerie shadows, if you had a nightlight, of all the toys that were just fun and yucks in the daytime, all of a sudden at night, what do they look like? Something out of a Stephen King novel, yes? Or something out of those movies that you knew you shouldn't be watching when you were seven years old, but you wanted to, and you had the remote on the previous channel button just in case mom and dad came in? And even if it was the TBS version that had a lot of the stuff edited out, you were still losing your mind? And you were convinced that at night when the lights are off and the nightlight is casting all these creepy shadows, you're convinced that this is the guy from Poltergeist, that one clown that's in the corner and he's going to get me and I'm sure of it? Did anybody have a clown? Why did we have clowns when we were kids for toys? My cousin's here. She's still scared of clowns. I'm pretty sure it's because she experienced what I'm saying. My girls still experience this. They're afraid at night. But then we say, babe... When the light comes on, when the new day dawns, this is the stuff that you still love. And the thing, the point I'm trying to make is, how does the Easter dawning of the new beginning reframe the darkness of Friday? If there is not Easter, then Paul says, we're without hope and we're to be pitied and ridiculed more than any other folks because Friday is just another crucified rebel and a would-be revolutionary talking about peace and love and the poor and the meek will inherit the earth. Easter reframes and reshapes the victory of the cross and the terrifying things of the darkness, even death, even our brokenness, need to be seen in the true light of day. And all of a sudden, even as we experience the painful things, we know that it's not the last word. God gets the last word. How can the light of Sunday reframe the darkness of your Fridays. When we get this story into our bones, we can truly believe that we cannot be afraid. We can truly face even the worst things in our life in light of the dawning on Sunday. So once that fear, once the shock and awe wears off, the guards are losing their minds. The guards are the guys who are trembling in their boots and passing out. And the women are still there trying to make sense of what's going on. And then the angel continues and he says this. Come and see. You were looking for Jesus. You're looking in the wrong place. So as soon as you can get your wits about you and maybe change your clothes, if you're with me. Because this is, I would be freaked out big time. As soon as you're ready, why don't you come on in here and I'll show you what's happened. See the empty tomb. Now let me tell you what these women did not see. You with me? They did not see the actual resurrection of Jesus. Any more than we've seen creation, right? Here's what they did not see. The risen Jesus, yet. They will, but they haven't seen the actual resurrection, and they haven't seen the actual risen Jesus. All they've seen is an earthquake and an angel. They're scared out of their minds, but they come and see the empty tomb, and here's the point I'm trying to make. It's still going to take some faith to trust the angel. It's still going to take some faith at this point. Yes, this is incredible. Yes, this is alerting me to the fact that God is in this, but I still at this moment am trying to make sense of why the tomb is empty. 
And here's the thing I think that we've got to remember. We have to be detectives of divinity ourselves. Can't we walk through our everyday life? How many empty tombs do we walk past? How many acts of God in the little things and the big things do we waltz on past completely unaware that God is at work in our everyday lives? I believe the biggest, uh, the saddest thing in the American church is we really function like atheists. We really function as though God has no bearing on my day in, day out life. And that's why we've got to train ourselves to look, to detect God's fingerprints at work every day in our living, breathing, working lives. We've got to stay awake to this. And when you catch a glimpse, keep looking. And you'll get better and better at seeing that God is with us and he's inviting us to see him at work. So then when you see it, just like this angel says, don't just keep it to yourself. The next thing he says is, come and see and then go and tell, right? Because the thing about this is, um, the more we share the experiences, our empty tomb experiences, the more we encourage ourselves and the more we encourage others, yes? How many times has someone called you immediately with great news? Who's the first person you call when you get that great news? Aren't we wired this way? Wouldn't we train ourselves then when we see the empty tomb, we need to go and share it? I think of Emma and Nora too, especially last Christmas. We, uh, my brother and sister-in-law, they don't give them presents, they give them experiences. So last year we did like the Gaylord on ice, like the whole parka thing, and we were doing this, and they were just losing their minds. This year, what my brother and sister-in-law bought for our little family was a carriage ride to go look at the Christmas lights in Highland Park. And really, the adults are just going to like gawk at these huge houses. And so, for once in our life, our little family of four was the first people there. We weren't late, we were early. And we were sitting in our car, and it was cold, so we were waiting in our car. And so on one side of the vehicle, Emma sees this enormous horse and this carriage with the lanterns and these big old blankets. And the guy that was, uh, like, leading the carriage even had, like, a cowboy hat, and he just looked real bad to the bone. And he was, like, doing this whole thing, and he waved at Emma. And so Emma just starts freaking out. And she's going, Nora, Nora, there's a horse. He's 20 feet tall, and there's a carriage. And Nora's going, what? No way. What? You know, she's like, I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. And she's just, her life is ruined. And then what does the horse do? He just goes around this side, and then he turns the corner. And as he's out of view of both of them, Emma's turning to the other car seat and said, I think we're going to ride. I don't know. Maybe I'll ride on the horse. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. And she's losing her mind because we just gave her hot chocolate, too, so she's super amped up. And so then the horse and carriage comes around, and Nora's still crying until what? She sees this huge horse. And it's the same kind of rhythm of seeing God really is up to something. Death really isn't the end. I've seen something that has changed me, that's transformed me. And I want you to see it too, but also know that it takes time for others. Because the people they were supposed to go and tell were the disciples who had abandoned Jesus two days before. They hadn't seen what Jesus had told them. And so these women become the first apostles. 
Apostle is a church word for the sent ones. These women are sent to bear witness to the good news that's way better than a Clydesdale in a carriage. Jesus is alive. Death must not be the end. So who are they supposed to go tell? The disciples who abandoned him. What are they supposed to tell him? He is alive. And why is it significant that it's women who are entrusted to be the sent ones to bear witness to Jesus? Here's why it's important. Because women were so unimportant in the first century. Women could give their testimony and it wouldn't be admissible as evidence, right? You see in the courtroom today, when women go and stand on the, the stand and they, they make the swearing and they're doing their testimony, they wouldn't even sniff a courtroom in the first century. And so here's why this is significant. Because every single gospel, all four, say women were the first on the scene. Every single gospel says the women are the one who carry the news that he is risen to the men. If you are going to make up a story, you would not write in women as your first witnesses. I would write in that button-down businessman who has a track record like George Washington who's never told a lie. And I'd name him something cool while I'm at it. So what's going on is these women who were not respected are recorded as the witnesses as if to say, I don't know, maybe this is how it actually happened. Well, then you say, but still, I mean, this whole business of him being alive. So then the second reason this is significant is because we see God valuing women in the kingdom of God. They're saying, look, Jesus had elevated women, had lifted up women, his whole ministry. He had turned the world upside down and saying the poor, the sick, the lame, they're the ones the kingdom of God is for. And he's entrusted these women to take the news. And the third reason it's important is this. They did an excellent job. Because you might still say, yeah, well, that's great that they picked women. But there's this still business of Jesus being alive. Paul will say a decade or so later, when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus, he said Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. And think about this. The guards who were there on the scene, who didn't see anybody come and rob the tomb, who had passed out for fear of the angel, then in the next section in Matthew, are going to go and conspire with the priests to say, we had something really weird happen, and we should probably quiet this thing up. But the problem is, is Jesus keeps going ahead of his people and keeps appearing, and the same empire that tried to crush this story couldn't. The same empire that tried to stop it is outlived by the story and the news that Jesus is alive. This news that the women took that went and see the empty tomb and then they go and tell these disciples, they go behind Jesus because the fourth reminder is this, Jesus goes ahead of you. And I love this so much. The original context is he's going to Galilee. Why is Galilee significant? Because Galilee is where it all started and it's where he's regathering these men who weren't as tough as the women who had scattered. He's regathering the men so he can resend them. He's going ahead. This, the theological context is Jesus goes ahead of us in death. Do you know that Jesus was raised in a body? Do you know that those who have died in Christ will be raised in their body? 
God will not waste our bodies. Right now our loved ones are in the ground, just like Jesus was in the ground. But Jesus was raised in his body, and at the end of time, we will be raised like Jesus when we see Jesus face to face. God isn't going to waste anything. So don't, don't think that Easter is about just going to heaven and getting a cloud and wings and a harp. Jesus is alive. He was recognizable. He's in a body because God wants to renew all of it. God wants to renew this earth. He's not going to throw it up and junk it in the trash. He's going to bring the kingdom and fullness, and heaven and earth will be one, and we will walk around like Jesus to live like we were always meant to live. And does it sound crazy? Jesus went first, so let's trust him and look to him and know that we won't quite know what it looks like, but we go with the stubborn hope that death is not the end and he won't waste a thing. He really will make all things new. He's gone ahead of us. And here's the everyday context now, not just the resurrection. I want you and your body right now to hear this. That next step that you're afraid of, that meeting, that thing you've got on the calendar this week that you are anxious about and afraid of, you know something? Jesus has gone ahead of you. Do you know that thing that you just are dreading. Maybe it's something as big as death. Maybe it's something as little as that person you're about to see. Jesus goes ahead of you. Do you know that I pray every week when I don't know what to say or what to do, I can't fix it. I'm not the pastor that can do it all. So I pray, Jesus, I know you're going ahead of me to the hospital room. Jesus, I know you're going ahead of me to this living room. Jesus, I know you're going ahead of me to my office, to my car, to meeting with my kids and loving them. You're going ahead of me. And so every step then is arrival. Every step is an arrival to show up to a God who's already shown up. Jesus is going ahead of you. And he's not just going ahead of you in the, in the difficult spaces. He's going ahead of you to prepare good things for you. You just got to show up and follow him. And you might just meet him along the road. Our final reminder is when you meet him along the road and encounter Jesus, grab hold of him and worship. Grab hold of him and celebrate and cling to him. If you put the risen Jesus at the center of your faith and life and worldview, and you can fill in all these nifty little theological doctrinal things. But if Jesus is at the center, if everything else crumbles, you still have the firm foundation he told you about. Jesus is at the center. Grab hold of him and celebrate. And I love what Jesus says. You with me at the end of the passage? He basically reiterates everything the angel said. Don't be afraid. Go and tell the others. Remember the guys who misunderstood me for years? Remember the guys who abandoned me a couple days ago? Yes, go and get them. They will see me, and I will still meet with them. You know Peter, who has been called the denier for the last couple days? I call him, what? My brothers. Go and tell who? My brothers. So if you are a denier, if you have denied him on a Friday, know that Jesus still wants to meet with you on a Sunday. He is there for the taking. You can get hold of him. He wants you. 
Because he doesn't want you to be known as a denier. He wants you to be known as a brother. And when he shows up, you've got Thomas the doubter. Mark Sweet has been joking with me all week about no doubters allowed. Bro, let me tell you, doubters are welcome to still meet with Jesus. Because he's not a doubter, he's a brother. You know what you are? A child of the living God, the Father. And a brother of Jesus Christ who is alive in you and you in him. I think Jesus reiterates everything they just heard to assure them, look, it's me, I'm here, I really am making all things new. Death is not the end, I'm alive. And he wants to remind them of this truth. I want to close briefly with the story of my own leaving a grave and encountering Jesus. Eight years ago, Amy's aunt Christy died of cancer. She was 39 years old and she left behind three children. And it really was difficult to walk through that because she had a difficult couple months at the end as it happens. And then it was really difficult for us because at that point in our life, it had been a while since we had experienced someone close to us dying. And so we go to the country church where there's a packed funeral service. Then we go to the graveside and we're the last ones to leave. And we get inside Amy's hot, non-air conditioned 1998 Honda Civic. And we're driving down the country road and we are weeping bitterly. We are just snot crying, devastated, and then we hear a song come on the radio and it just kept repeating, rescue is coming, rescue is coming, rescue is coming. And it was in this time in our life too where a lot of our friends had walked away from Jesus and we were still grieving this. We were grieving the sting of death. And as this song kept playing, rescue is coming, rescue is coming, Amy and I just began to say out loud, this can't be the end. I refuse to let this be the end. And in that space, leaving this place of death, we had a stubborn hope of life. That was really born in me, this idea that I am willing myself to believe the tomb is empty. Because I've encountered the risen Jesus too often to deny him. And even in the face of death, I believe that new life is here for us to come. And so we left and we had this stubborn hope. I even got a tattoo about it. Sorry to ruin that sweet story. I had a tattoo because I want to mark in my bones, in my body, that one day we will rise again. Just like Jesus so we don't have to be afraid because he's gone ahead of us. And we can come and see for ourselves that he's alive. And we can go and tell others, bearing witness to the fact we've seen him, we've sensed him, we know it. And then we can go knowing and celebrating he really is making all things new. That's why we've gathered this morning. And I'm glad that you are here with us. I'm glad that you are here to remember, and I pray that you would leave from this place in the power that the pressure's off, the tomb is empty. He really is making all things new. Let's pray as our band comes and leads us in one more song. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, that you meet with us, and that you raised your son Jesus from the dead. He went to the cross with a relentless trust and probably a fair bit of fear. 
But he went with a relentless trust, committing himself to you in the hope that you would raise him as the vindicated and victorious king that he said he was. So we pray, Lord, that we would be people who are resurrection people, walking in new life, unafraid, even though we face darkness. May the light of Sunday inspire us and keep us awake to our living God. We pray all this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.